Hi, Pastor John here. I want to welcome you to our service today. This service is a little melancholy and a little exciting at the same time. It's Pastor Scott's last sermon with us. They'll be moving on to a new home down in Lynchburg, Virginia. And Scott has been a good friend and a faithful servant of our congregation for over 10 years now. So we're sad to see him go, but excited as to what God might be doing in their lives. So he delivers a sermon today. It's out of Acts 20. He's going to ask us the question, what does it mean to go? Let's join the service now. You know, a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, uh, we wrapped up our series on worship. And we talked about some things that, that maybe we can add to our service that will bring God the glory all the more. Uh, and that will also touch our own hearts as we do so. And so this morning, it is fitting that we would uh, turn to the Lord in prayer. And this morning, we're going to repeat the Lord's Prayer together. And, uh, and after that, we're going to confess what we believe together as one body of Christ. Amen? All right. Well, the words of the Lord's Prayer taken straight from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, are, are up on the screen. And if you will pray with me in reverence to our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now the thing that we need to remember as we recite that together is that that is a template for prayer, uh, but it isn't something that we have to follow. There's nothing particularly magical about those words. It's the content that, that Jesus is reminding us of to, to give honor and glory to our God, uh, to confess that His kingdom is coming, and that He gives us everything that we need, and that in this same example that He gave us of forgiveness, we should follow that. And we should always keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Amen? Amen. Now let's rise. And let's stand as one body of Christ and declare to God, to each other, and to this world what we believe. So, along with me, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day He rose again according to the Scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, he proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen. Wasn't that awesome? <laughs> Wasn't that awesome? Go ahead and have a seat. And let me remind you that uh, the word Catholic in this creed does not refer to the Catholic Church. It is a word, a beautiful word, that means universal. In other words, the church as a whole, of all of the saints who have ever lived before us, 
all who are living now and all who will ever come. And so in declaring what we believe, we speak out that truth with them. Isn't that awesome? Down through the centuries and into the future, we are proclaiming who God is and what He's done for us. What a glorious thing for us to do together. Amen? Well, another thing we talked about recently was fasting from the news. Now, the idea of this, this was uh, at the beginning of January that we, we suggested uh, giving this a try, uh, and we were going to do it for a month, and so a month has passed, and, and it's time for us to talk a little bit about it. And I can tell you from my own experience, uh, you know, I'm a news junkie. I, it was hard for me to to put away my, my news apps. You watch me do it uh, right here uh, on that Sunday. And uh, it, took a, it took a few days to get used to that. But what I realized is it was just habit. That's all it was. It was just habit. And I didn't need to know up to the minute everything that was going on. I really didn't. And so I fasted for that month uh, from the news. I just, I didn't open any apps. I I was aware of some headlines because it's hard in this world not to be, but but I I didn't go seeking after the news. And what that taught me, again, is is some self-discipline, the realization that, you know, when I end this fast, which I did earlier this month, um, I'm just going to just find out what's going on once a day. Because I don't need to know every single minute of every single thing and who said what, when, and, and who's, who, what, who, speculation about what someone else is going to say back and, and then hear the person say that back and then tons of analyzation about that and so on and so forth. All right. So that's what it's been for me and it's been a wonderful thing. It's broken me of uh, kind of a bad habit, uh, but... I'm still aware of what's going on in the world, and I want to know what's going on in the world. It's part of our Christian responsibility, isn't it? Uh, to know what's happening and to therefore be able to have input into what's going on. Uh, but the, the men's uh, virtual coffee uh, every Saturday morning uh, took this very seriously. And so they began discussing uh, that sermon as well as this idea of fasting from the news. And I've got Pat Nutz's. Pat, where are you? There you are. Oh, yeah. I've looked at you five times and I forgot where you were. Um, uh, he sent me their notes from, from their meetings together. And I just want to share with you a couple of highlights from that. Uh, the, the key verse that they, they uh, focused on was uh, uh, the, the, the verse about transforming our cells be transformed and I thought I had it pasted in here but I get oh there it is verse 2 of Romans 12 do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect and so uh, in their in Pat's notes he's got this comparison uh, from their discussions of what it means to be conformed to the world and what it means to be transformed by Christ. And I love this. Uh, I'm not sure what ain'ts and saints are, uh, but you guys know, and that's what's important. But, uh, but it, it, I've also got, uh, when, you're, when you're conformed to the, to the world, you're lovers of darkness, right? Well, when you're transformed by Christ, you become lovers of light. And so when you are conformed to the world, uh, you're involved in lies sometimes, you, you uh, like spreading them, you know, those sorts of things. But when you are transformed by Christ, you're all about the truth in absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. Uh, when you're conformed to the world, you tend to complain. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? That's our, our human, human sinful nature is to complain about things. But when we're transformed by Christ, it's all about confession of our sins, of contentment, finding solutions rather than just grousing about things. One thing I always told my boys when they were growing up is that it's the easiest thing in the world to do to complain about something or to criticize somebody because you don't even have to be right. All you got to do is complain. 
And it doesn't even have to be true. And then, of course, the other key element of being transformed by Christ is gratitude. And, and on it goes. Uh, these, are, these are some beautiful observations that, they, that they've made. But they also uh, came up with, with seven basic lessons that they've learned. And uh, so we, what we do is we, uh, the first lesson is that we put away the anger and blaming and criticizing uh, that, we, that marks the person who is conformed to the world and instead, we put on uh, love and responsibility and gratefulness. And we do this by the power of the good news. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. The gospel has transforming power. It can change us from a person who loves darkness into one who loves the light. And once you've gotten a taste of that light, you do not want anything to do with darkness again. Number two, don't depend on others' view of reality. And this is in Pat's notes, so don't blame it on me. Even the viewpoints of Christian conservatives. Right? Because where do we get our truth? Jesus said it Himself in His high priestly prayer in John 17, Thy Word is truth. And He is truth in the flesh. He is the Word in the flesh. The third lesson is set your mind on things above. Identify good and evil and take action. But we always do this from the standpoint of the truth of the Gospel, of the truth of who Christ is. The fifth observation is that sacrifice involves pain. Ouch. Why is that? Well, it's because we are a living sacrifice. And that sacrifice means pain most often. I mean, it really wouldn't be a sacrifice if it didn't hurt. Only the living feel pain. And then number six, the sixth lesson, is we can get truth out, that is, to the world with, without being conformed to the world, without uh, uh, becoming hateful and spiteful and angry. And we can get the truth out by treating others as we would want to be treated. It's not do unto others as we feel like it. It's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a beautiful, beautiful, godly principle that Jesus proclaimed. And then there are some practical ap applications as well. Uh, they mentioned Pastor Ravidio's example of leading teams uh, uh, out to the unwitnessed in the towns of Romania and reaching them with the gospel by being where they are. Uh, we can repent of our behaviors that have been and are still unchristlike, and we can seek reconciliation with others in the community. And so, see, this and this is my favorite observation that they had is is uh, that that the men's uh, Bible study had is that fasting the news wasn't about fasting the news. It was about so many other things, and you can see this from their notes and their discussions, is that this was about reordering our brains and our minds and our hearts toward focusing on Christ again, rather than focusing on all of these things that only Christ has the answer to. We're not going to solve them all, but we can be a part of that by displaying the gospel to people, by displaying His love and His grace, displaying His mighty power to save us from our sins. And so this ties very much so into what I'm about to talk about in Acts chapter 20, verses 36 through 38. And I want to invite, to invite you to go ahead and turn there. The title of today's sermon 
is go. Go. This is what Leslie and I have been called to do. And this sermon is based on Acts chapter 20, these, these uh, few verses here, but also on the rest of the Bible because going is a theme that we see constantly in Scripture. And I would even venture to say that going is something that God commands us all to do, no matter where we are. And we'll get to that. But allow me to go ahead and, and read uh, this passage. This is uh, when Paul is preparing to go to Jerusalem, and he's ultimately going to be martyred in Rome. And he knows this. He knows that this is not going to, to go well in, sen- in the sense of a storybook ending. And so do these Ephesian elders that he's meeting with. Uh, they're meeting in a town near Ephesus in a place called Miletus. Uh, but they have gathered there to say goodbye to Paul because he's going. He's going. And he's going with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, that's the context for this. And so allow me to read and then we'll, we'll take a look at this, this concept of going. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. The word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Well, today I stand before you and Almighty God at this pulpit one last time. And I can tell you that Leslie's and my hearts are filled with powerful and conflicting emotions. Much like we find in this verse here. They know that God is calling Paul to go. And Paul knows it too, but probably doesn't want to go in a sense. I think I, think I can, Leslie and I can kind of feel that right now. But needless to say, it is extremely difficult to part this fellowship, to depart from you. We love this body of Christ. We, we love each of you. We love the elders. We love Pastor John. And Pastor John, you are my mentor and a dear friend. And I love you deeply. Brothers and sisters, your friendship and your support your prayers, your fellowship, it means so much more to us than you can know. It really does. You are our family, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so it is very difficult for us to go because we love you so much. It has been the highest privilege of my life to walk alongside you in faith and to do my best to help to take care of you in the Lord. But as Leslie and I have prayed for God's direction over the last couple of years, He has made it very clear to us that He would have us to go, to move on. And to move on trusting that He is planning us in a ministry that is yet unknown to us. He wants us to take a step of faith. The biggest one we've ever taken. And part of that, of course, is to be near Leslie's family. We feel called to be there. Uh, Not only to be, uh, to care for them in Christ, but to enjoy their fellowship. But in all of this, we're discovering something wonderful. We're discovering the joy of obedience. And we're discovering the joy of knowing that God isn't going to stop using us. And He's not going to stop using you either. In other words, Leslie and I are not leaving WBF. We're going. We're not leaving. We're going. We're going toward God. We're going toward His will for us. We are going forward to see what He has for us. And we're doing it by His leading. 
And so in light of this, I want to give you a gift of encouragement today. It's not so much a a sermon in the expositional style that we're used to, but nonetheless, this is a word of exhortation and hope from Scripture because brothers and sisters, whether you realize it or not, you are going to. God is sending you. He sent you here to do His will. And so just as God is leading Leslie and me, God is leading this church. He is leading this church. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Colossians says, is the head of the church. He is the head of the body. And so He is leading you. And to follow Christ always means to go. And you are His faithful followers. And I know that from experience. And so what I want to impress upon you today with joy and anticipation is that God has more work for you to do here. So go where He leads you. And that's the truth I want you to remember as you go forward as Warrenton Bible Fellowship. God has more work for you to do. So go where He leads. Every day, Christ is calling WBF to go, not to go somewhere else, but to be right here, right here where He has already sent you, where you and I have already walked together these last ten and a half years. He wants you to continue to go into the heart of a community and a culture that needs the light of Jesus Christ. Because you see, going is about what you do when you get there. And here you are. Here you are. In 2015, I had the privilege of preaching a three-part sermon, uh, sermon series on the church. In it, we meditated on the three overall purposes of the church. The first purpose of the church is ministry to God. That is true worship. The second purpose of the church is ministry to believers. That's when we nurture one another in our walk with the Lord. And the third purpose of the church is ministry to the world. Namely, that by making new disciples, by leading people through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that's how we fulfill, completely fulfill our purposes as the church. Matthew 28, a very, very familiar passage to all of us. Verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. We're going to get to that in a minute. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There is our calling as the church to go. To go. And so Jesus, yes, is calling us to people in faraway places. Not very long ago, we, we uh, blessed Amanda Gray as she goes from our midst to ultimately share the gospel in Mongolia. But God is also calling Warrington Bible Fellowship to make new disciples right here, right here. He's calling this body of Christ to share His love and His gospel with the person who maybe is walking right by our building right now. Or driving by. He's calling us to to share His love and His gospel with our neighbors, with our colleagues, with our friends, with strangers, with beggars and business executives. Wherever we are, we are called to fulfill the Great Commission. You see, God has more work for you to do here. So go where He leads you. Go where He leads you. Biblically speaking, going isn't a matter of leaving, but of following hard after Christ to do the work that He's calling us to do 
around the corner and around the world. And that's the pattern of Scripture, isn't it? When God calls His people to go, it's not so much that He wants them to leave a place as it is that He wants His people to trust Him enough to go. (laughs) To follow Him. And then to do what He says He wants them to do when they get there. And so God is is calling us to go. God's calling to go is God's call to do His will. He never sends us out with no purpose. And He never sends us out without enough. We always have what we need. And so all we need is to have the boldness to believe Him. The boldness to know that His will is fulfilled through our obedience. And so let's just take a a super quick tour of some examples from the Bible of going and get a taste of how God calls His people to go constantly. And this is by no means an exhaustive list, but it gets us started. We see the very first going, in a sense, in Genesis 1 when God creates man and woman, right? He put us here. He put us here. And then He gives purpose to mankind. And that is to multiply and subdue the earth. (laughs) And then, a little later on in Genesis 12, God tells Abram to go. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who, who, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's quite a promise, isn't it? And so he went. And God made other promises to him too. The suspenseful story of Exodus is one of God calling his people to go too, toward the promised land. To fulfill God's promise to Abram, among many other things. When when Ruth made her famous declaration to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she had no idea that her loyalty, get this, would make her an ancestor of the Messiah. God also, through through her loyalty, showed His own providence and care for her and for God's people. But we must read those famous words of her. They're so incredible. In Ruth chapter 1, Ruth said, Do not urge, she's speaking to her mother in law, Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And then there's David. This small, handsome shepherd boy. Kind of low down on the totem pole when it comes to things like war and foreign affairs or, or leading people. In fact, he had no experience with those things. But what does God do? God anoints him. God calls him to be the king of his people. Ezra leads exiles back to Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile. Nehemiah goes with a third wave of returning exiles to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then there's Esther, whom we visited with not too long ago. God called her to go to a very, very unlikely place, to the king's harem. And he called her to go there for such a time as when God would use her position to save his people in Persia. Her story reminds us that when God sends us, that no matter where we are, he has sent us to do his will. And so we may never know the consequences of our going and following hard after Christ. 
But brothers and sisters, when you go to serve the Lord, it is guaranteed that there is eternal fruit and that it brings glory to Him. You see, God has more work for you to do here, brothers and sisters. So go where He leads you. Mark read a few minutes ago from Isaiah. And here's the the way that he describes his appointment by God to go. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. God sent Ezekiel into exile in Babylon with warnings of, of judgment for God's people, but he also prophesied hope and renewal, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Uh, these are just a few Old Testament examples. In the New Testament, we see God send John the Baptist to be the forerunner for the Messiah. He sends Joseph and Mary uh, to Bethlehem according to his plan of redemption that he had laid out before the foundations of the world. And so Bethlehem is where that plan becomes to be very visibly fulfilled when God the Son, as Paul puts it in Philippians 2.7, when God the Son emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And Paul goes on to say that that's the attitude that we should have about our own lives. That we should empty ourselves so that more Christ can pour in and so that we can testify as we just did when we rose up and declared what we believe together to the goodness and greatness and mighty mightiness and sufficiency of God to save us and to save anyone who turns to Him. And so God also sends His shepherds to the manger. He sends wise men from the east to worship Him. We see Jesus later on gather His disciples, telling them in Matthew 4.19, to follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. Later, Jesus sends His disciples to go into the community to preach His gospel, but to take nothing with them for their journey. Why? So that they could learn to rely on God for all of their needs, all, of, all the more. We see that in Luke chapter 9 and a couple of other places. You see, Jesus sent them out with nothing because He wanted them to know that God is everything. And He sent them out so that they would not rely on their own cleverness but rely on the power and majesty of our great God. And you know, sometimes God sends us out wherever we are simply to be a witness. To be a light shining in the darkness even when people's hearts are hard. No matter the circumstances, God promises to be faithful even in those situations. And this is exactly the kind of situation that that our Lord found Himself in in John 8 and 10 when He declared Himself to be God, one with the Father. Speaking of His sheep, our Lord declares to the Jewish leaders in the temple, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And it's that last sentence that really gets him into trouble. And so far from receiving that glorious truth that their Messiah is standing right before them, instead they pick up stones to try to stone Him. Now God, uh, Christ, of course, escapes that danger. But we know how the story ends with his life on earth here. But you see, the thing we need to remember is that not everyone who heard Jesus preached believed him or received him. Isn't that something? It wasn't automatic that they would be saved, no. 
Many, many people's hearts were hard. In fact, I would venture to say that most people who heard Jesus didn't believe him. And so we should take comfort of that when we share the gospel. Sometimes sometimes God sends us out simply to proclaim the truth and to say, here's the light. (laughs) Here it is. And sometimes that proclamation is very, very costly to us. And it can even cost us our lives. In many parts of the world, Christians are still being martyred for the sake of Jesus Christ. But the point of all of this is that God is constantly calling us to go, isn't He? He's calling us to action. He's constantly telling us to move. To move by following Him. By doing what He says. Sometimes He calls us to another place like Lynchburg or Mongolia or Jerusalem in the case of Paul. But sometimes He calls us to go into the world right where we are, where He's already sent us. So you see, going is about our willingness to stand up and be counted as one of His sheep. Just as we stood up and were counted as we read the Nicene Creed, we are called to stand up and be counted in our dark culture and proclaim to the world the goodness of our Lord and the power to save. And so we go into the darkness to be His light. And so as we grow in our relationship with Christ, so should our passion for reaching the lost. As we grow to maturity in Christ, we realize more and more and more how much we need His saving grace. And brothers and sisters, the very fact that our King provides that grace is news that is way too good to keep to ourselves. And we also discover that as committed members of the local body of Christ, evangelism is something we do together. It isn't always something we do alone. God meshes our individual gifts together. Evangelism is as much the calling of the church as it is the individual believer. And so we as the church are like first responders, really. We're the ones running toward the danger. That's what Paul was doing. We're not fearing for our lives because we have the hope of our risen Lord. We know where we're going. And there is nothing that man can do to us in this life that will take Jesus away from us. No one will snatch us out of His hands. He has equipped us with the the only thing we need to go out into this world. He's equipped us with the only cure for sin-sick souls. The gospel, that was the same cure that cured us. That raised us from spiritual death. And so brothers and sisters, I look back on our time together with joy and thanksgiving. As I have seen what God has done in and through you. I've had a front row seat as your passion as WBF has grown for the lost. As you have faithfully served as the Lord's light right here in Warrington. And you've done it in so many ways. You have been His light as you've prepared backpacks for low-income children during our school drives. In the way that you have put together our coat drives and contributed to that. You've baked cookies and handed them out and and, uh, made meals for for Bible studies down at at the shelter. You've shared the gospel right there out into the, in the world, in the darkness, uh, at stories in the park. You have borne witness to the unity of the church as we have partnered with other like-minded, gospel-minded churches in town. That's an incredible witness to people. To see Christians of different denominations standing together, it amazes people. It amazes people. But we can stand together because we are centered around a solid biblical statement of faith and we proclaim the same Lord. You have gathered around new believers. You've ministered to special needs friends that love to be me. And so much more. And there's so much more that you've done within this fellowship too that just blows my mind.
our worship team and their dedication to what they do so that we can sing God's praises together every Sunday morning. Uh, each of the ministry leaders, Pat Newts leading the virtual men's uh, coffee and the women's ministry and, and uh, so many other things. Praying for one another, caring for each other, gathering together over cups of coffee or to go on trips together, spending time with each other. Those are beautiful, beautiful things. But brothers and sisters, I think as I look back over my time here, it is that call to go beyond the walls of this church that has struck me the most. Brothers and sisters, God called you out beyond these walls. And you know what you did? You followed Him. You followed Him. And you did what He asked you to do. And so now, God has more work for you to do here. So go where He leads you. And that leads us full circle back to Acts 20, verses 36 through 38, which we read at the beginning of this message. The Holy Spirit has laid on Paul's heart to go back to Jerusalem, but he and the church elders know that persecution and even death await him, whether at the hands of the Jews or the Romans. A few verses earlier in Acts 20, beginning of verse 22, Paul declares this to these brothers of his, and I'm sure sisters were there too, but he declares to this church, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and, and afflictions await me. So think about this. The Word made flesh and, and who dwelt among us, He knew. He knew that imprisonment and afflictions awaited Him too. And yet He willingly obeyed His Father's call for Him to go and even to die for the forgiveness of our sins. And then to rise up as he defeats death to give us the hope of eternal life. And so likewise, Paul in this passage is trusting that God has more work for him to do. And so he prepares to go where the Holy Spirit leads him, even if it's dangerous. Now, you know, Leslie and I, we're just going to Lynchburg, you know, we're, we're I don't think we're going to be martyred there. Just going down to little old Lynchburg. It's just it's like two hours and 15 minutes from here. Come and see us. You're welcome anytime. And well, I'm sure we'll be back here to, to see you as we come to visit our son and, and daughter-in-law. You know, we're, we're going to see each other again. Paul and the elders of Ephesus were not going to see each other again. But you know, God is sending us. And so we must go. We must go. We must go to do the work that He has prepared for us. And that means that we're entrusting ourselves to the care of the Lord even as we entrust you to the care of the Lord. And I know from experience, vast experience, that you are in good hands. I know that Pastor John and the elders, Peter, Jimmy, and Richard are godly men, and so have been our past elders. And they will continue to lead you well in the Lord. And so we go in the confidence that the Lord has plans for you and for me, for us. And that fills our hearts with joy, but at the same time, yes, it is very difficult to go. And we see this as after Paul prays in verse 36, we see the elders weeping in verse 37, and I think Paul was too. The sense of the Greek language for this weeping is that they were crying like a child cries. And so that's the way we feel about you. We don't want to go, 
in that sense. But we do want to go out of obedience to the Lord. You are so dear to us. And how thankful I am for this privilege of being His servant among you for a time. But as Leslie and I look ahead for what God has in store, our prayer for you is that you look ahead too with the confidence that God has more work for you to do. And so you can go wherever He leads you with confidence and joy and anticipation of what He's going to do. And so to close, I want to pray for you, Warrington Bible Fellowship, in the same way that Paul prays for the Ephesians in verse 36. And I want you to know that this will be the kind of prayers that Leslie and I will be praying for you on a daily basis. And so let's pray. Holy, holy, holy God. The God who reigns supreme over all of your creation. The one who brought it into being. The one who sent his only begotten son to live and to die and to rise for us. The God who has sent us the Holy Spirit to live in us through saving faith in Jesus Christ. Who has given us eternal hope. So eternal that that hope is right here with us in this life in the midst of the darkness so that we might bring glory to you. Dear God, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the role that you've allowed me to play here. I thank you for the deep friendships that you have kindled in this fellowship. And so, Father, knowing that you have more work for these dear people to do, I pray that you would equip them with continued expositional preaching, with the ministry of Pastor John and the elders, that you would equip them with your word, the power of your word, the power of your gospel, not only to change the hearts more and more toward Christ, for those who are in this room here right now or watching online, but also so that we might go out and share that good news so that others might know you. So Father, I pray that you would watch over this church, that you would protect this church, that you would put a hedge of protection around this body of Christ and protect these dear people from attacks of the enemy, from people who might want to come in and, and, and mess things up or, or just be busybodies or, or whatever the case may be, Father. I just pray that you would protect these people, protect this church, protect the ministry of this church, that you might go on glorifying yourself uh, through this ministry. Father, I thank you for each one of the elders, past and present. I thank you for the way that they have poured into my life and the way that they have uh, sharpened me. Father, I pray your blessing over each one, that you would protect them as well in their marriages and their homes, uh, that you would uh, make it possible for them uh, to continue in this ministry to your glory. And Father, I thank you for the future. We don't just thank you for the past, Lord, but we thank you for the future because you've got that in your hands too. And we know, Lord, that you are going to do glorious and wonderful things. And so, Father, I pray that if the future means hardship for us in this life, I pray uh, that you would undergird and sustain us uh, in uh, that walk, that difficult walk, when Paul comes to mind as we pray that prayer, Lord, we pray, Father, that you would give us all that we need, that you would give us even boldness to declare your truth, no matter what the consequences. And Father, I pray that 
the work that we have done already in this church and the work that this church will do will have eternal value for the sake of your kingdom. Amen and amen. And now let's rise for the benediction and we're going to let Paul, I'm going to steal the words of Paul here uh, as he left those elders at the church of Ephesus. And this is from verse 32 of Acts chapter 20. And now I commend you to God and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen and amen. Go. <laughs> I didn't want to let this moment pass. We're going to give you a proper send-off next week. And uh, that's where the hugs and tears will be. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to let you know that it's been an honor serving next to you for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's been an honor sharing your office, sharing your home, and sharing your heart. You have served this congregation well. Mm -hmm. And we will miss you, brother. We love you, and we will miss you. And Leslie will miss you, too. Mm -hmm. You guys have been a blessing to us. And may you be as great a blessing where you land as you have been here. We honor you today. Thank you. Thank you. Now you can go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, brother. It's Pastor John back again. I want to thank you one more time for joining us. If you were blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. If you're watching on YouTube, click on the like button below, that little thumbs up at the bottom of the video. If you're listening on Sermon Audio, Perhaps you can comment on the sermon or even share the sermon with someone else. Either way, we'd love to have you as subscribers on either site. We'd love to hear from you as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Just search for WBFVA. And we're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you would like us to pray for you and what you'd like us to pray for. Let us know if you have any comments. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on Giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we'd love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.